0: Well, thank you for allowing me to get to spend a little bit of time with y'all. That was a long time ago, but um, I will tell you that I, I always appreciate getting the opportunity to share my story. So my name is Mike Pereo. My wife and I, Melissa, have been married 30 years. We've been living here in Greenville for the bulk of those 30 years. And I've got three children, two that are in their late 20s, about to turn 30. They're living their best life out in California, and my youngest and her husband are just moved back to Greenville from Austin. So here's the one thing that I'll tell you. The best nest is the empty nest. That's no knock on y'all. But Melissa and I are thriving. <laughs> and the second thing is, your kids are never off the payroll. So that's actually good for y'all. That, that's something that we're learning. So I'm going to take you back, because the way I tell my story, I try to live an integrated life. My work mic, home mic, it's just mic. It's trying to live an integrated life, and I've been trying to do that ever since I came to know the Lord. So I'm going to take you back because this is my story, and I learned through stories, so hopefully this will resonate with some of you. Um, So I'll start at the beginning. I'm actually, I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Notice the accent. And my parents lived in Puerto Rico until my dad got transferred to move to Augusta, Georgia, when I was eight years old. And we moved there not knowing how to speak English not knowing one, anybody in that town. And when we got there, it was probably the scariest time of my life. I, I felt so unsettled. We got to this new country, didn't know anybody, couldn't communicate. My parents got a hotel room while our house was getting finished, and my two siblings and I were staying in this hotel, and my parents enrolled us in a private Catholic school so we could learn English and start our education. And immediately upon starting school, um, I just started getting bullied pretty heavily. And I started getting beat up from day one. And it was very, very difficult for me. It was the most fearful, most impactful time. And it ended up really impacting me the rest of my life. And what was interesting about that, how God used that moment, because in those moments that I was super scared as an eight-year-old, I remember going to my father Who himself was scared because this was all new to him. And I'm like, hey, I'm getting beat up. You gotta help me. You gotta protect me. And he was like, Miguelito, you just gotta fight. Well, here's the thing: I didn't want to fight. I didn't know how to fight. And I didn't even know how to communicate that to anybody. So in that moment, I said, I thought to myself, I am all alone. The people that I come to depend on can't protect me. Then surely, if God's real, I can't even see him. How is he ever going to be able to protect me? So what what ended up happening there was that it built in me a pathway of control. I needed to always have control to protect myself from any risk. I would position myself in every circumstance to avoid harm, to avoid danger for myself and for anybody I was in charge of or that I care about. And so this created an incredible, unhealthy pattern for me. So, you know, I grew up in a very strict Catholic home. We uh, we went to Catholic church. We were in the school. I was baptized. I was an altar boy. It was great. And all I remember thinking was, "You got to be good enough if I'm going to have a chance to get into heaven. I just got to be good enough." So, I wasn't good enough. I became very rebellious. When I realized I was on my own, I just started carving my own path. So if I lied, I cheated, I stole, all I had to do was go to confession. My dad would pull me out of the pool if I got in a fight with my brother and take me to confession, and I was supposed to be good. So I wasn't trending really, really well. So when I transitioned into high school and college, I ended up substituting this need for control with alcohol and drugs and all kinds of unhealthy habits. Um, that took me down a path that was just completely chaotic. And I will tell you, it, it was a path that I didn't even recognize. It was just my need for a sense of control and for me to numb myself to whatever I desired and whatever I needed to provide safety. So I get to Clemson. I'm heavily involved in a fraternity and everything that came along with that. It was just a lot of partying and Alcohol and drugs and I was into all of that and I just thought I didn't even have conviction about it I was like hey, it's just fun and this is recreation and Then I met this girl and she was a freshman at Clemson. Her name is Melissa Spoiler alert. She's my wife Um, and she had come to know Jesus through FCA and when I started dating her She realized This guy is just all over the place She went to an FCA retreat at Richcrest while we were dating, and she came back, and she confronted me about my lack of faith and that there was no way that she was going to be able to continue dating me because we were unequally yoked. I'm like, what does this have to do with eggs? I don't know what this means. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'll never forget, she was crying, and I was a senior, and she basically said, "I I I can't be in a relationship with you. And this is how fragile my life was, that it absolutely rocked me and it sent me down a path. She wrote me a letter that's actually framed in our home to this day. And it says, you are going to be a great husband and a great dad one day. It's just not going to be with me because I want to be in a relationship, in a Christian marriage, whether in a Christian home, and I'm really sorry, and I know I'm hurting you, and I knowing I'm abandoning you. And that was my biggest fear, that I was going to be all alone again, and I couldn't control this environment. It shattered me. And here's what I'll tell you. Um, I went down a spiral. I, I did some terrible things, not just to myself, but to others. And one of my friends called her youth pastor and said, you've got to call my friend Mike. He is going down a terrible road after all this went down. And I get a call, and this is how it played out. I remember being in my apartment, and I get this call, and this lady goes, hey, is this Mike? And I'm like, this is Mike. And she goes, my name is Carolyn, and I'm your friend Jocelyn's youth pastor from Oxford, New York. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, look, lady, I don't have time for this. I'm apparently going to hell. So goodbye. And she goes, no, 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 please. Jocelyn read me Melissa's letter to you. And I just need you to realize how much Melissa actually loves you. And I'm like, she don't love me. Melissa does not love me. She left me. And she goes, no, she does, Mike. Because she was trying to introduce you to the man that actually loves you more than she does. And I was like, all right, I'm hanging up. She goes, you're going to hang up on me? And I was like, I'm hanging up right now. And she said, I will let you hang up if you let me ask you two questions. And I was like, anything to get you off the phone. And she goes... Are you a good guy, Mike? And I was like, "Mm, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm not perfect. And I haven't killed anybody. That's actually what I said. How pathetic is that? And she was like, so you're a good guy. She goes, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. And she goes, here's my second question. If you walk out of your apartment right now and get hit by a car, what happens to that good guy? And y'all, here's how I know God was pursuing me in that moment. Because what came out of my mouth is not in my vocabulary. And I immediately burst into tears. And I said, I'm not a good guy. I am so jacked up. And I am so messed up. And if there is a God, there is no way I can stand in front of him. No way. And she goes, that's exactly why Melissa was trying to, she cared more about you to know that than her being with you. Two hours later, I'm on my knees in my room asking Christ into my life. I remember her going, do you have a Bible? And I was like, ooh, Melissa gave me one for Christmas. It was still in the shrink wrap, never opened it. She goes, will you turn to John 316? I turn to page 306. She starts reading. I'm like, we got different books. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm in Leviticus or whatever. I don't even know. I was on page 316. How freaking lame is that? But, But here's what I'll tell you. In that moment... Um, a lot of people put their relationship with me at risk. And because of the ministry of Fellowship for Christian Athletes, a, a group of guys and females start, surrounded me when I felt the most alone. And they helped lead me and shepherd me into this relationship and this decision that I had just made. And it changed the trajectory of my life. And so I will tell you for the last 35 years... Jesus' sacrifice, his love and grace towards me has directed my life. It impacts how I lead my family and how I get to love and serve those that God has put under my care or who he places in front of me. So, you know, I got saved my last year. I graduate. I asked Melissa to marry me. And I'm like, I know we got to wait because you're like a sophomore, but I'll wait and I got hired by a company called Sealand, a big steamship, $4 billion import-export company. They hired me because they had just passed the trade agreement with NAFTA, and they wanted me to use my Spanish to be able to coordinate shipments for all these apparel companies. And so Patagonia became my customer, North Face, Columbia Sportswear, all these outdoor companies. And when I joined this big $4 billion company based out of New York, I was terrified on how in the world I was going to integrate my faith into the workplace. And it was difficult. It was like I was stuck in an episode of Mad Men. These people wanted me to entertain clients, take them to places that there was no way I was going to take them. They wanted me to do things with them that I wasn't willing to do. I was in constant fight with my bosses out of New York said, you're going to take them here and you're going to do what we tell you to do. You work for us. And I was like, man, I I don't know that I'm going to make this. But they were paying me a lot of money. I was making more money at 22 than I thought I'd make at age 50. And I remember in tears walking into, when Melissa and I got married, I did that for two years, and I walked into our apartment, and I was just in tears after work, and I looked at her, and I'm like, babe, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And she goes, hey, pal, I married you, not a lifestyle. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. (laughs) And... I went upstairs and I incorporated Ubi that day. Now, let me pause for a moment. You're wondering, what a weird name, Ubi. So, my last year at Clemson, after I asked Christ into my life, I got to be good friends with who was now my business partner, Tom Merritt. And Tom and I were kayaking up at Lake Joe Cassie, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And we were sitting there watching some stupid infomercial like Dial 1 800, and it was the Psychic Friends Network. And it was Dion Warwick, had a 1-800 number for a psychic friends network. And she said she had had an out-of-body experience, and she had been levitated. And Tom, who was super funny, was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She needs to have an out-of-Bible experience. So UBI stands for out-of-Bible experience. And UBI is a word that we use for the remainder of our time at Clemson to stand for our ultimate day, a day God had blessed us with that we could enjoy together. We'd cut class, go play basketball, that was amazing. Got a date, got a second date, Ubi day. So Ubi became an adjective within our friend group at FCA Clemson. And so when they asked me what I wanted to name my company, I was like, I need to call it Ubi because I am not having any Ubi days right now. And so that was the birth of our company. Tom was a school teacher and a guidance counselor in Easley. I was working in Charlotte. We met at a Waffle House in Gaffney halfway. I told him to give me a dollar. I gave him 50% of the stock certificate to this new company called Ubi. And he's like, what is this? And I'm like, we're a company. We are going to start a company. And our wives were like, about what? And I'm like, clothes. (laughs) We're going to do clothes. Because where I was working, I would look at Patagonia's invoices and go, the Cinchilla jacket from Patagonia cost $11 to make. And I'm paying $200 at retail for that. I'm like, there is a business here. And we need to start a business to get in the apparel business. And our wives were like, love the enthusiasm, but which one of y'all know anything about this? And I'm like, I don't care. Everybody's got to wear clothes. You can't walk around naked. Everybody's got any clothes. So this is what we're going to do. So we both quit our jobs on the same day. We got an auto body shop, a one-car garage in Easley, South Carolina. We paid $50 a month. And Tom and I started Ubi. And what we did, for the, we paid a Clemson student $50 to design these T-shirts, and I'm just telling you right now, when we started that process, we didn't know what we were doing. And all we did was call every outdoor store from New York all the way to Florida, going, hey, you guys have Ubi? You guys carry Ubi? We called every store twice a week. And then when our samples came in, I'm like, hey, I'm Mike with Ubi. And they're like, well, come on in. People have been calling for this stuff. And that's how we started getting our brand new stuff. So guerrilla marketing freaking works. I'm just telling you, do it. And at that, at, in that moment in time, one of our best friends, Matt Williams, had just left seminary to come start Grace Church in Greenville. And so Matt, Tom, and I bought a, wa- a striping machine and we striped Walmart parking lots for two years to pay ourselves while we grew our company. And what we wanted to do, we wanted to be a biblical-based company run with biblical values in the outdoor industry. And we got great, we got great success. We got in Sunrift and Half Moon and all these stores, and pretty soon, Ubi, in the first 10 years, we were in about 450 outdoor stores. REI was our biggest customer. The actual REI label that you see in the stores today, we started that for them back in 1999. And so what was interesting during those first 10 years of Ubi, we were rudderless. We were all over the place. We were The wind would blow, I would blow this way. The wind would blow, I was just so fearful in my habit of control and fear and providing safety and protection, I was just gripped with not letting Melissa down, not letting Tom down, not letting anybody down. And in all that time, we made tons of mistakes. We weren't profitable. We were just, we weren't in a metal building. We had moved from the auto body shop. I had four employees. And one day at the outdoor show is when God showed me why I was in business, not what I did in business. Because one of our sales reps who absolutely hated us He hated that we would pray before a sales meeting. He didn't like that we would say the blessing before we ate our food. He didn't like that we put a Bible verse in our catalog. And he would get other reps to quit, but he wouldn't quit because he was our rep in New York and he was making six figures commission off of Ubi. And one day in January of 2001, Matt Miller walks into my booth in tears, and I didn't like this guy, 15 minutes before REI was coming in for their appointment. And I remember this was a crucible moment for me because Matt Miller walks up to me and goes, hey, man, I just need to talk to you right now, right now, please. And I'm like, Barb Williams from REI is coming in 15 minutes, and you're a jack wagon. I didn't say that. I thought that. But the Holy Spirit was like, hey, man, he needs you. And I was like, my gosh. I was like, all right. And I told one of our employees, I'm like, you're going to show the line. to. He's like, what? I'm like, you're going to show the line to Bar Williams. Get Tom and have him meet me in our conference room. And when I walked in there, Jesus used this moment to show me how much relationships matter. Because in that moment, when I closed that door to that room, Matt Miller burst into tears and goes, what do y'all know that I don't know? Please, what do you know that I don't know? I have so much money. I do what I want. I get what I want. And you guys are the worst businessmen I've ever met. And y'all are so all over the place. You don't know what you're doing, but you have this peace and you have this joy. What do you know that I don't know? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. This is happening. And y'all, an hour and a half later, he was right, we blew off our biggest customer. But an hour and a half later, Matt Miller asked Christ into his life in our booth in Salt Lake City, Utah. And here's the thing. That day, that day, Ubi got its why we exist and why we get up in the morning, not just what we do. Because when Matt Miller left that day, I'll never forget. Tom put his arm around. I'm, I'm crying. I'm a, Tom crying. Tom's crying. Matt's like, can I join you all for dinner? We're like, of course, Matt. And when Matt walked away, Tom had his arm around me. He goes, what if God only kept the wheels on our cart? Because he needed to reach Matt Miller. And here's the thing. Two years later, Matt Miller quits the outdoor industry Goes to seminary, co-founds a church in Rochester, New York, and then founded the sex trade slave ministry called Love 146 that has rescued 9,000 women from sex slavery in Far East Asia. Here's the thing. He's still one of our best friends today. Two years after that, we wrote a purpose statement for our company, Ubi, that says our, our mission is to love and serve others with our time, our talent, and our resource so God can be celebrated through the stewardship of what he's entrusted to us. It does not say the word apparel in it, because I ain't in the apparel business. I'm in the love and serve business. And so that year, we wrote that purpose statement. I'm sitting at a Chick-fil-A on Woodruff Road, and one of my good friends, Jeff Taylor, was the operator of Woodruff Road. And I would give him Ubi golf shirts, he'd give me nuggets. It was like my best trade, I'd do this every I'm like, golf shirt? He'd give me nuggets. It was like best swag deal ever. And I'm sitting there with him, and all of a sudden, he's ordering something on a piece of paper. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm ordering uniforms. And I'm like, have you heard of Bill Gates? Are you faxing that? Like, what are you filling out paper? And he goes, dude, Chick-fil-A, we're old school. We have to fax it in in our uniform provider. They don't answer our calls, and it's chaotic. And I'm like, all right, let me see that. And he hands me that sheet of paper. And I'm like, dude, I think we can help you all. And he goes, "Help who?" And I'm like, "Chick Fil A." He goes, "Dude, you can't help us. We're a billion dollar company. You have four employees." And I'm like, "I know, but maybe." And I cold called Chick Fil A the next day, and the executive vice president Woody Falk answered the phone, and he's like, "Hey, Ube." And I'm like, "It's Ubi, but you can call it whatever you want." <laughs> and he goes, "What can I help you with?" I'm like, "Hey." I hear their rumblings that you might be looking for a new uniform provider. And he goes, nope, we are not. And I'm like, I'm, rumblings. I hear the rumblings. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to see if we can put our name in the hat. And he's like, what hat? And I'm like, I don't know what it's called, dude. The RFP, the RFI, whatever the formal word is. I graduated with a 2.1 from Clemson. I'm not that bright. I don't know what it's called, but I want to put my name in the hat. And he goes... Mike, isn't Ubi an outdoor clothing company? And I'm like, we are. And he goes, have you ever done a uniform program before? I'm like, nope. And he goes, no. And I'm like, nope. And he goes, let me ask you a couple of questions. He goes, have you ever outfitted 100,000 people before? And I said, no, sir. He goes, do you have a customer service department? I'm like, no, sir. He goes, can you ship 1,000 orders a day? I'm like, I doubt it. I got two people back here. So I was just honest. I wasn't going to lie to him. And basically, he was very gracious. He goes, my tricks are for kids, man. Like, seriously. I said, well, it sounds like you think I'm asking you for the contract. I am not asking for the contract. I am asking for you to let me in the stadium so I can swing a bat. If I don't swing a bat, I am guaranteed I will never get a hit. Just let me swing the bat. But first, got to let me in the stadium. Please let me in the stadium. He's like, I, I, you're freaking me out with all of your little analogies. This is what he said to me. He goes, Mike, we're talking to the 16 largest apparel companies in the United States. They're all a billion dollars or publicly traded. He goes, can I ask you a couple of questions? He goes, is this contract gonna be bigger than your whole company? And I was like, well, I don't know the numbers, but I bet it is. <laughs> and he goes, can you pass financial due diligence? And I'm like, no, sir, we're broke. We got no money, we've not made a profit. And he goes, what? And I said, I know, I know. But an option I consider is not an option. So I'm always going to call and ask. And he goes, Mike, listen, we've heard of Ubi. And we know that you run your company with similar core values and biblical principles. But we can't be a bad steward for Truett, the founder. And we've got to upfit all of our team members. And we can't put ourselves at risk like this. And I said, I hear you. And I said, I appreciate the grace of you taking my call. And he goes, we wish you all the best. Super kind, like Chick-fil-A. My pleasure, my pleasure to hang up on you. He hung up on me. (laughs) And a week later, my phone rings and it's Woody. And he goes, Mike, this is Woody at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, hello, Woody at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And he goes, you got a minute? I said, I do. And he goes, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to over-spiritualize this. And I'm like, okay. He goes, when I got home the day you called me, I sat down at our dinner table, and my wife, Ray, goes, you know what shirt I love that you have, that Ubi shirt? And he was like, I'm not wearing an Ubi shirt. Why did you just say that? She goes, well, I was doing the laundry. I don't have to iron it. It just comes out. Like, I don't have to do anything to it. I love that shirt. And he was like, hmm. The next day, I walk into the corporate headquarters, and Dan Cathy uh, walks up to him and goes, hey, I need you to order 150 of those waterproof, breathable Ubi jackets. I love that brand for our executive leadership retreat. And so he goes, so, something's up. What are you and Tom doing next Tuesday? And I'm like, whatever you want me to do next Tuesday. <laughs> he goes, we'd like to date you and Tom. And I'm like, what? He goes, we'd like to date you. I'm like, date us? And he goes, no catalogs, no business cars, no samples. You drive down to Atlanta, come to our corporate headquarters. Tom and I drive down there When I walk in, I walk in, and it's Truett Cathy. He was in his 80s at the time. Dan Kathy, and Woody. I was freaking out. And the first thing that I will tell you is, a lot of you do not believe you can integrate your faith with your work, your family, your community. It is absolutely possible. And what I'm going to share with you is how these men did not ask me one business question for the next five hours. I walked into Truett's office, and he said, Is Tom your best friend, Mike? And I'm like, he is. He goes, tell me about y'all's relationship. He goes, Mike, what's your wife's name? I said, Melissa. He goes, tell me you and Melissa's love story. He goes, you got kids? And I'm like, I do. He goes, what are their names? I said, Connor, Tess, and Mia. He goes, what do Connor, Tess, and Mia love to do with their dad? Let's talk about that. And then he said, Mike, do you have a bunker of men in your life? Because men try to build a bunker in the middle of a firefight. And both men and women need to build the bunker before the firefight. So to talk to me about the six people that are going to carry the casket of your funeral to provide shade and protection for you. Let me tell you something. I've never gotten my MBA, but I sure did leave with one that day. Because those men modeled for me what it looked like to integrate my faith in my work. And before Truett left, he made Woody put us in the bid. And when we went through that process, we went from those 16 companies down to eight, down to four, down to two. When we got down to the final two, no lie, I'm in a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and my phone rings. And it's Woody, and he's like, Michael, how are you? I'm like, I'm not trying to be a round nudger. I'm in the Chick-fil-A drive through right now. And he goes, no, you're not, and I'm like, I am. And I put the girl on the drive-thru and he ended up buying my lunch, and he goes, pull over. And I pulled over, and he goes, hey, you've made it to the final two. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you made it to the final two for our contract. And I'm like, oh my God. I said, who am I up against? He goes, don't worry about it. I'm like, Woody, with all due respect, you always gotta know who you're going up against, who you're going into battle with. I need you to tell me. And he goes, you don't wanna know, son. I'm like, "Mm, you gotta tell me. And he goes, it's Vanity Fair, $22 billion company. They own North Face, Nautica, Wrangler, Vans, Jansport. And I was like, good night. I said, that's like David and Goliath. He goes, bring your slingshot, son. And he hung up the phone. We showed up at their corporate headquarters. Vanity Fair shows up with these vans and with Chick-fil-A all over the vans. And all of a sudden, they've got 50 people in suits and laser pointers. And I'm over here with my little rascals, and my four employees. And I'm sitting here and they're doing... We're up, they hired 15 models, age 15 to 50. And we're in this ballroom. And the models kept switching back and forth between both ballrooms. And all of a sudden, I, I mean... And it was quite intense. It was the family, the Kathy family, then the apparel committee, then the finance committee, and they made it very difficult. And I'm telling you right now, I remember the CFO got me to stand up one time, he goes, Michael, and he asked me this question. I'm like, sir, I don't know what that word means. And he goes, it's a basic financial term. You run your own company, how do you not know what that means? I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. I'm like, Tom, do you know what that means? Tom goes, sir, we went to Clemson, we still don't know what that means. <laughs> And he, he says, to this day, he goes, I remember voting in the boardroom. And I'm like, they might be done, but at least they won't lie to us. And we ended up winning that contract. And the day they were voting, I drove down to Chick-fil-A's headquarters. I was about to throw up. I had diarrhea. I mean, I was, I was, I was like a mess. <laughs> I'm sitting in their lobby. And all of a sudden, the board comes out. And Dan Kathy, and Woody seem like, what are you doing here? I was like, I just want to be here in case you guys had any questions. He goes, we told you not to come down here. I'm like, I know, so disobedient. But you got to know, I'll always be here. And he's like, all right, grab a plate of food and go grab a seat at that table. And I went over there, y'all. And when I sat down, he's going to make me cry. I sat down at that table. These 12 men and women were sitting there. And Dan goes, can I return Thanks for everything God's done for us, do you mind if I pray for our food? And I'm like, of course. And he prayed, and when he finished praying, he goes, son, what I'm about to tell you is the single most irresponsible decision this company has ever made. (laughs) And I was like, okay. He goes, we're gonna give you this contract. And I burst into tears. And I knew in that moment how kind God had been to me and my family and Tom's family and all of our employees, and 100,000 factory workers that were going to be impacted by this decision. And in that moment, I remember, I, I was like, please excuse me. Just, this is very unprofessional. I just, just give me, a, Can I just step away for just a moment? He said, absolutely not, son. He goes, listen, we're in the love and serve business. We just happen to sell chicken doing it. And we just found a company that's in the love and serve business. You just happen to sell shirts doing it. He goes, son, what you don't realize is that all those models were hired by us. When y'all left, we did one-on-one interviews with all the models to find out how each company treated them backstage while we weren't looking. And what company treated them with honor, dignity, and respect while we were not in the room. And it was unanimous for y'all. So y'all are getting our contract. And here's what I'm going to tell you. As y'all go through your life, and as you're finishing up this season of your life, it, you don't think you can integrate your faith in so many parts of your life, but it is possible. These men and women that ended up mentoring Tom and I to show us what this looks like, it can happen. You can have that. You can actually, if you truly understand that God's the water source and your work is just a faucet where you can bring honor and glory to God while you're standing in that field, if you can grasp that, you will not be held hostage to the comparison trap the culture trap, or what the world tells you success looks like. It will give you a peace of mind as to what that feels like. We were able to land Chick-fil-A, then we were able to land a bunch of other companies. We now do Coca-Cola, BMW, Disney. We also do have a design division that we developed Southern Tide, Coast, a bunch of brands, Cabela, slozenger FootJoy. Joy. We have an opportunity to impact a lot of folks, and we now have a, a, a footprint in which we can actually get to share the gospel with people. And it was that crucible moment with Matt Miller where we found our why about why we were going to get up in the morning and about what we were going to do. And I will tell you this. As y'all navigate these next steps, there's a couple of things I want y'all to consider. And if you leave today with anything, take these things with you. Find somebody two steps in front of you that will help mentor you and model for you what a faithful life looks like. Identify people in your life where you see fruit because your generation, my generation at the time as well, believed that sowing and reaping happen at the same time. It does not. There is a waiting room, a waiting room between sowing and reaping where God's working on your character because he's more interested in your character than your comfort. So as you face trials, just be like, all right, I guess God's building my character and he's building me through this season. And trust that he cares for you. And trust that he, he is there for you. But I, will, I want all of you to realize a, a thing that um, a lot of folks try to seek success. And when we try to do it, Ubi, and we try to do this in our personal life, if you will shift your mindset and maybe, just maybe consider to seek trustworthiness versus success. And if you can be found trustworthy, then maybe God and others will entrust more to you. And here's what I'm going to ask of of all of you, because I don't know where y'all all all stand regarding your faith, but this this is a moment, like me in my apartment, when Carolyn called me out of the blue. She didn't know me, but you've got to make decisions about where you sit with the most important decision, which is where you sit with your faith. And do you just have an awareness of Jesus in all those stories, or do you actually have a relationship with him? And so I will challenge all of you to have the courage and the resolve to not make this an unsharpened pencil. Your life will have no point. I'm just telling you. Allow God, because he wants a relationship with you, to get close to you and get yoked with you. So then he can show you a path and reveal, peel back the layers whenever he feels you're ready to be able to handle it. I'll never forget, Foat Ferris, who was the head of FCA at the time, he would always, he discipled us, he did our premarital counseling, he would always go, man, I guess God doesn't think you and Tom can handle success yet, because y'all are broke, and your business ain't working, we're like, I guess, but he was right, we couldn't have handled it in our 20s, so I will just tell you, 30 years removed from all of those stories, is that my prayer for y'all, it is a journey worth taking. And I know it's hard in your community, it is hard with your friend groups, it is hard to navigate the workplace, but I just promise you, living an integrated life is where it's at. And I'm gonna close with this because this was so impactful to me because Truett, a billionaire, got it. The year before Truett, Kathy died, and I'd gotten to spend some time with him because I asked him to mentor me and I got to spend time with him and he was 93 when he died. This was the year before he died. I am in the Chick-fil-A cafeteria And Truett comes up behind me, and he is adorable. Little red cardigan, precious. And I'm a kisser, I'm a hugger. I'm like, you know, Truett? And he goes, Michael. He goes, I saw you sitting here. He goes, how's Ubi doing? And I'm like, oh, gosh, Truett, you know how much God's done with our partnership? We have been doing it 20 years we have been doing Chick-fil-A for 20 years. When they started, they were a billion-dollar company. Now they're a $25 billion company. When we started with them, we're outfitting 100,000 employees. Now we're outfitting half a million. And we're going to outfit a million in the next 60 months for them. And so Truett goes, how's Ubi doing? And I'm like, well, we're doing just fine. And he goes, it's not what I asked you. He goes, it's a yes or no question. And I'm like, well, yes, Ubi's doing fine. And he goes, that's good. He goes, is Ubi making money? And I'm like... Who asked that? That's so uncomfortable. I was like, yes sir. We're, yes, sir, we're making money. He goes, That's good. He goes, That means God thinks you're trustworthy. You're doing some things well. He goes, Is Mike making money? And I, who asked? I so uncomfortable. And I hesitated, and he puts his finger in my face. And I was like, True it. Doobie's making money? I'm making my money. And he goes, That's good. He goes, That's good. He goes, Hey, son, hey, oh, this is going to make me my, he grabs the back of my neck, true I did, and he leans me in and he goes, hey son, he goes, I don't know the next time I'm gonna see you. He goes, I need you to hold your possessions tightly in your hand, away from your heart, so you can easily give it away. Do not let your hope migrate from your provider to your provision and you'll have a blessed life like I have. And he smacked me in the face and walked away. <laughs> Those are Truett Cathy's last words to me. And let me tell you something, at his funeral, when they buried Truett, I was an emotional wreck because how much God had used this man to model for me the life that I desperately wanted. Where I wasn't alone, that Jesus had been with me the entire time, even as an eight year old. That he always had me, that he always was there for me, and that he was always gonna be my shade and my protection. And I still pray Psalm 62 every morning when I wake up to calibrate myself because I know my drift. I know my drift. And it's, wait quietly on the Lord for my hope lies in Him. For He is my rock and my salvation and my fortress where I will not be shaken. So if you guys wouldn't mind, I would love to pray over y'all and I'll end it there. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our only hope and our safety and protection. I pray for everyone in this room and for allowing them to be here today to lean into the areas of our lives that we have not surrendered to you. You are trustworthy and enough for us, and we are not alone. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice that covers all of our sin and brokenness and allows us to have a relationship with you. Thank you for this time, and may you receive all the honor and glory you so richly deserve. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.